Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this week's episode of the Church and Culture Podcast. Um, if you're just joining us, I am Alexis, and every week I am do- joined by Dr. James Emery White. He's the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church. He's a former seminary president, the author of more than 20 books. And when he's not doing all of that, um, he spends his time diving into the world of contemporary culture and examining really the all important engagement that Christians and the church should be pursuing. So, in other words, Jim. As mentioned before, he's used this terminology that we're living in serious times and the church is called to be aware and we're called to be astute in how we respond. So today, what we're going to talk about is the de- somewhat divisive bill that was passed on Monday, um, signed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, that essentially prohibits classroom instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity in elementary schools. Opponents are referring to it as a don't say gay law, um, accusing it of being insensitive, if not damaging to the LGBT community. So Jim, why don't you kick off the conversation by just kind of clearing the air and um, providing some clarity in terms of what is this bill actually about? Yeah, um, I think you actually gave it a very good synopsis. It was called the Parental Rights and Education Bill. Opponents refer to it as don't say gay. The actual intent, the actual wording of it is it prohibits uh, classroom discussion and instruction uh, between the grades of kindergarten and third grade. So it's a very young cohort that this is tailored toward. Okay, there's a lot that we can talk about with regard to this, but I think that a helpful way to frame today's conversation might be by talking about what really are the primary players. They may not be the ones who are exercising the loudest voice at this point, but they are the primary people involved, and that's parents, teachers, and children. So, um, of course, there's going to be overlap, but let's talk about teachers first, because I'm a parent of an elementary age child, and I can't say that gender-based or gender-related topics are... um, very prevalent in the curriculum. So why is it that teachers would feel the need to speak on these issues in the first place? Like, are they being asked to do that by kids or is there pressure from culture or from school boards to do that? I think that, uh, no, you're not gonna find a kindergartner you know, dealing with homosexuality and, and or gender identity largely, or at least very few, or dealing with gender dysphoria. Um, In fact, the overall trans population is 0.5% of adults. I mean, it's very small. So what what the concern is, is that uh, culture, as you say, uh, or coming from boards or whatever, or teachers taking it upon themselves to bring this up and to begin, as some would say, move from education to indoctrination and to begin making these things an issue, making these things a subject matter. Uh, It's not gonna be brought up by the kids and I don't know of any curriculum, but there are books out there that are often being used that we can discuss or talk about in a moment. Uh, But um, yeah, I think it's, it's a concern that this not happen. All right. Well, okay. So on that note, let's shift to parents for a second, because what you suggest um, in a blog that you wrote this week, which of course we're going to link in the show notes, is that this legislation has a lot less to do with the LGBT community, and it has a lot more to do with parental roles. Is that correct? I would say that. Uh, It it has been an interesting response from the LGBTQ community, um, uh, a very... um, they were very a very strong reaction as if this was a real attack on their identity their 
right to exist and and uh, and their rights and and uh, that would be damaging kids. I mean, we can get into some of the concerns, but um, it was about it really is about parents' rights and what is appropriate for a school to do and what's a, appropriate for a parent to do. And the idea with this bill was this is just not the school's business. The school does not need, particularly with K through three, K through third grade, to get involved in dealing with sexual orientation and, and gender identity. And, and it's just, that is a parent's job, a parent's role, and it is not to be something that's coming from the classroom. Well, I guess opponents of that point of view would say that, you know, would point to a handful of anecdotes by which children perhaps are not receiving the proper instruction in the ideal world of what a perfect parent might say. And they've really found refuge in a teacher figure, not even related to to issues of gender specifically, but a whole score of things that their teacher has really filled an important role that maybe they were lacking in their parent. And so I think parents are maybe concerned that if their parents don't accept their child's, you know, gender orientation at that age, that they could find refuge in a supporting teacher. There's so much in what you said that concerns me. Um, uh, and I know you were kind of describing more or less the case. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to um, a teacher feeling that a parent is not doing it right. That's not a teacher's job to determine this is what you need to give your child in terms of a value system. This is how you need to teach them about all things trans or uh, homoerotic behavior. You know, that's, a, that's what's scaring people, and rightfully so, that a school board or a school teacher or a school system becomes the arbiter, the determinant of what is right or wrong in terms of parenting and what needs to be uh, taught in the home and conveyed in terms of faith and values to a child. In other words, we are going to become big brother to all parents. We're going to oversee it in a way where we can determine what's right and what's wrong and even get to the point where we say, okay, because you're teaching your child this, we consider that wrong. We consider that child abuse. We're actually going to take your child away from you and take away your right to parent. So that's the slippery slope that has a lot of people, I think, rightfully very concerned about this. Now, as far as a teacher's role, I think we all have fun fond memories of a teacher that was very special to us and encouraging to us. I remember to this day, teacher named Mr. Smith in fifth grade, uh, sixth grade, I'm sorry, who was uh, just just meant the world to me and, and, and you know, encouraged me in a, on a host of ways. That's very different than what we're talking about. It's very different than uh, a child who uh, doesn't want to hear what his parents have to say, doesn't agree with what his parents have to say, wants to rebel against parental authority, and goes to a teacher for validation. And that's not at all what should be happening, and that's not at all what a teacher should do. Uh, and this is so easily deflected for a teacher. I mean, if, if, even if a child were to come and raise an issue related to and I can't imagine a kindergartner do this, but let's just imagine a kindergartner comes and says, I have a question about uh, my gender identity, or I have a question about same-sex attraction, which is, um, like I said, comical to think about, but let's say it happens. The teacher should simply say, you know, Johnny, that's a great question. And when you get uh, home this afternoon, you should ask your mom or your dad about that. Now, let's get back to our ABCs. It's just, it's, it's just not a big deal. 
Well, I think that you could probably make that case on a whole score of subjects though, right? Like Mm -hmm. not just gender related ones. I mean, there's a ton of things that we would hope for a parent to feel empowered to talk about instead of a teacher. I mean, things like death or, you know, just health and wellness or drug, you know, drugs. I mean, there's so many things. So why does God exist? Yes, exactly. Issues of, 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 yes, all kinds of, yes, absolutely. There's a whole host of things that, um, really have no business in a classroom, particularly at this age. I want to I want to keep driving that home because you hear a lot of stuff about how this is just trying to stifle the 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 gay community in some way, uh, or but this is just about we're not going to have it in the curriculum for a kindergarten class, you know, and and that we're going to leave that to parents at that age. To me, it's. Uh, um, I think it's important to keep remembering that. I'm not trying to even be political or make a a case for for this particular bill. I'm just saying that it raises a lot of cultural issues that I think are terribly important. And and the the cultural reaction to it was so strong that I I remember, Alexis, when when I first heard uh, this whole don't say gay pushback on this, and I thought, well, this must be some kind of bill targeting what high school teachers can say or do, or uh, maybe maybe middle school. And when I actually went and found out this was just for kindergartners through third grade, I thought this is really culturally telling. Well, so would it be different? Would you feel differently about this if, if it was a bill that was directed at high school teachers? I think that there are certain uh, subjects that can be discussed, need to be discussed. And obviously, uh, there's a whole host of things related to um sexual issues that are very important and p- politically important and, and socially important that you can have, I would like to think, reasoned conversations about at a high school level uh, or even a middle school level. I mean, we're having them in our student ministries, our high school and, and middle school ministries here at at our church. But, you know, again, um, as a parent, I want to know what you're going to say. I want to know how you're going to say it, because the whole idea of a parent and a child in that relationship is that you have the mature and you have the immature. And 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 the whole job of a parent is to parent. And um, yes, part of that part of that parenting is working in association with whatever you choose in terms of education, whether it's homeschool, private school, charter school, public school. It, but um, there's not a parent on this planet who's not extraordinarily interested in their child's education and what that child is hearing and what it's learning. And there is not a parent on this planet, I don't care what your your, your um, convictions are, that wants what you're trying to convey in the home to be assaulted in, in the classroom, particularly in the areas of faith, values, sexuality. These are... These are very critical parenting issues. Mm. I want to come back to that for a second. I, I want to come back to that in just a second, but I want to return or kind of stay here for a moment and talk about how, like the way that we've talked about this, we've really been talking as if it's the teachers who are kind of overstepping their bounds to do this. But I almost wonder too, as a parent myself, if there's not, you know, I don't want to say blame is the right word, but if there's not a responsibility or that this is a response to the fact that parents are continuously or more, yeah, continue to push responsibilities that are not education curriculum related onto teachers, you know, discipline and, you know, a whole score of things that may be just like kind of an apathetic 
approach to parenting that teachers are feeling that they have to do this because parents want them would rather the teacher have the have the conversation right i mean they'd rather the teacher talk about you know health and, and anatomy and birds and the bees rather than have to have that uncomfortable conversation themselves do you see this kind of falling into that that scope as well actually i i do feel like most teachers would say sometimes it's startling what they find has not ever been discussed with a, you know, some, a student in their classroom. But again, what you've just said may be more of an issue as the child gets older when they, you know, but we're talking again, a kindergartner. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I think that, uh, and no older than a third grader. And while I do think that there is passive parenting and parents that do want the schools to do more and more and more. Um, and I, I, that's dangerous because what we're finding is that schools are saying, okay, and, you know, we'll, we'll strap that on. We will become a parent. We will become a socializer. We'll become uh, the, the one who conveys values and expresses values and teaches on these major issues. Um, and so it, it's, I mean, this is about 500 more podcasts and getting into family and education and the role of a parent and all that. But, um, but I think the, the, the young age we're talking about, that's not really an issue. All right. Well, so let's go back to what you talked about just a moment ago with regards to how much a parent should be involved in whatever their teachers are teaching, because I have such high respect for teachers. I can't imagine that they want for parents to micromanage every single thing that they are instructing their kids about. But at some point, do parents have the right to intervene? Like, let's say, you know, it is, as you mentioned, very it's becoming more common for teachers to utilize, even in the kindergarten to third grade range, storybooks that feature same-sex parents, for example, or children who, you know, dress maybe differently than their biological sex. Is that a point when a, a, a parent has the right to write the teacher or to intervene and say, I don't, I don't think that that's, that's not part of the curriculum, but you, you put that in there and we, I need, I'm not okay with that. Absolutely. I hope that every parent does. I, I would hope they would scream bloody murder because it, it's, it's not about, and again, let me, let me say something real quick here. Um, I, I think there is so much uh, that the Christian community needs to ask the LGBT community for forgiveness, how they've been, you know, uh, the hatred and, 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 and the, 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 it's, 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 we've had a bad track record that I, we're doing better on now, but I mean, there really is a sense where there was a, a devaluing of these dear souls as, as, you know, fellow human beings and, and, and we may disagree with lifestyle choices, but the, the rhetoric and, and the treatment was just completely uncalled for and not at all reflective of Christ in terms of that. Having said that, um, the LGBTQ community, uh, said, you're not giving us the right to pursue what we want to pursue um, within this democracy. Well, what's happening now, in all fairness to Christians, for example, is it feels like now the tables are turned and the LGBT community is wanting to do exactly to Christians what they said you should not do to us, which is giving them the freedom to disagree, the freedom to raise our child differently, the freedom that we 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 don't embrace this kind of behavior. We don't embrace this lifestyle based on our values and convictions. And so when it becomes, no, you don't have the right to protect your child from exposure to this, then yes, we, we need to be very vocal. Because what happens when a child um, is exposed to, say, a, uh, say a, a young 
coloring book with same-sex parents or something like that. It's not that 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 child becomes more prone to be gay or to pursue homoerotic behavior. It, It may, but what it does is it normalizes certain lifestyle choices. And it moves from kind of social acceptance to moral affirmation. And I think that as Christian parents who um, we, we want to uphold our value system, we want to uphold our understanding of what is the proper relationship between men and women sexually. And we want to um, make sure that we that while we want to have social tolerance, uh, we don't want that to become affirmation in the eyes and minds of our children, uh, much less that we're being intellectually tolerant where we actually think that that's just as valid a lifestyle as anything else. Hmm. Well, so there's, there's a difference, right, between knowing that your child is being exposed to this type of stuff at school directly talking to the teacher about it or just talking to your child about it. Cause let's be honest, like there's going to be a slew of things that your if your child is in, it doesn't matter like public, private charter school, whatever, um, that you may not disagree. You not, may not agree with from a Christian perspective, which is becoming more and more the minority voice, everything from science to health relationships, all of that. So if you can't have that conversation with your teacher, or if you don't have the power, I mean, you could, you could express your disagreement. Your teacher could say, thank you, but I'm going to teach it this way. What's the responsibility of the parent then? Well, I think a parent has, I think you, you outlined it perfectly. You have three options, uh, actually four. Um, one is that you go and talk directly to the teacher. Uh, one is that you go to the school board meetings and you make it known and, and, you know, you work through the process. Uh, Third, you can remove your child from that educational context and pursue a different one if possible. But fourth, and I think this should be happening no matter what. I don't care if, you've, if you're homeschooling, got them in a Christian school. I don't care what the educational environment is. You ought to be talking over with your child daily what they learned that day, uh, what they're learning, what they're, you know, look at their textbooks, look through their materials, be able to ask questions, give them a alternate viewpoint if need be, and, and really engage it, you know, sit down and have the dinner table hour or more every weeknight be, let's talk about what you learned in school today, you know, tell us all about it. Do you have any questions? How did you feel about what the teacher said? Well, you know, your teacher is a wonderful person, but, uh, you know, if, there's a different worldview out there that would look at it differently. Like your mom and I feel da, 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 da. And the Bible would say this. And so, you know, you, you want to do that. You want to debrief because parenting, you don't stop parenting. Once they hit school, it just goes into overdrive and you just, and you just have fewer hours with that child. So those hours you have are critical. Mm. And I know you've talked before too on, you know, just not allowing the teacher to be an expert on every area of life, which I think is, you know, it's easy for a parent to do that. You've talked about like drop-off parenting. Will you talk about that a little bit more? I've heard you talk about that, but I think it would be valuable for our listeners too as well. Yeah, I do think that there is a drop-off mentality in, in culture right now with parents, which is I'm going to, I drop my kid off over here to do soccer or to learn soccer. I'm going to drop them off at this play date so they get socialized. I'm going to drop them off. Uh, there's even this idea, well, I'm going to drop them off at church so that I get that taken care of spiritually. And there, there are certain drop-offs you can't do. I mean, you know, even like church, you get, what, what would the average church get a child? Uh, 18 to 24 weekends, if they're average. 
So that's 18 to 24 hours. I think those are important hours. They're disproportionately important. But um, the responsibility is going to be on that parent for the spiritual development and formation and even conversion, evangelization of their child. And so there's a lot of things that fall into that category that you just can't drop off. Just like you can't drop off at school and say, okay, that I can write education off. No, you're, you need to debrief and help them think Christianly about all of life and what they're learning. And um, particularly at the younger ages, they're just getting one teacher mm-hmm. for that grade, just one. And uh, you might hit the jackpot and they're just this delightful, winsome, you know, Bible-believing, Christ-loving person. And, um, or they could not. Mm. All right, let's go back um, to something that you had mentioned before with regards to children and their the impact that this bill might have on them. Because I do think that those who are proponents of the bill are more, you know, heterosexual parents who are worried that their child is going to, by being exposed to, um, you know, this type of education, gender specific or gender related or sexual orientation related, that they may become swayed to, as you mentioned, you know, a LGBTQ lifestyle or the, the normalization of that. Do studies show that at all, that that would be an impact or, you know, by reading books with parents of same, with, uh, same-sex parents, that that's going to make that more? Like, why, why is that a concern for us? Well, I think it goes back to the normalization of it. I mean, the more exposed you are to anything, the more you, you no longer blush, you no longer, you know, you think about what right now is mainstream. 20 years ago, it would have been considered repulsive, repugnant, um, but now it's actually embraced and celebrated. Um, and so, uh, I think that what you have with children, I, th- I mean, really, quite frankly, the explosion of all things LGBTQ in terms of mainstream normalization and not just acceptance, but affirmation and even recently gay marriage being legalized. This is all new stuff. So we don't have studies. We have no idea what this is doing to young children. We have no idea how even just watching TV where they see two men kiss as part of a montage commercial or something fall for Hallmark or cards or uh, diamond rings. I mean, you, 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 we don't know what it's going to do to these kids, but my, but what we do know is that the more you're exposed to something as being normal or accepted, the more you just begin to feel that way, or at least you don't have that reaction, you know, that you, you, you would have had otherwise. Mm. Well, what's interesting about that is I think that those parents who, who may have a child who identifies that way, or maybe they themselves do. Would There's use no that ar- child that's going to identify as, as homosexual. I mean, they're not even, I mean, we're talking pre-puberty. We're talking, I mean, that's not even, there's no, there's nothing I've ever run across that any child identifies with a particular sexual orientation in kindergarten. I mean, they're not even, they're not even sexually. I mean, it, it, no. but what you do have, very few cases of is uh, gender dysphoria with uh, a young child. And that can appear, true gender dysphoria can appear early on and often actually does. Uh, But again, very small percentage, the vast majority, if it's not catered to, the vast majority grow out of it. And um, uh, that's kind of almost another conversation when you have true gender dysphoria. And I hope you will link um, in the show notes to, Actually, I did a whole message series on this, but I also did a, a three-part blog that can kind of introduce people to that and um, and some of the thinking on true gender dysphoria. 
Yeah. Well, so we talked about some of the major players, or at least who should be involved in the conversation, but there are a lot of other people involved in this conversation that you probably wouldn't even expect. Um, For example, Disney is a big name that comes up with this bill. What's going on with Disney? Well, this was a bill that is a Florida law and the uh, LGBTQ community erupted over the bill um, and uh, felt like, and Disney is a Florida company largely, And so they felt like the CEO did not speak out forcefully enough against it and didn't do enough. So they actually staged a walkout. Um, Those LGBTQ community uh, uh, employees and and sympathizers did a walkout. Um, And so uh, putting pressure on Disney and it worked. Uh, Disney came out more forcefully, said, now we're going to be completely committed to um, getting this bill turned around. We're going to put money into it. Um, the CEO of, uh, not the CEO, but the the, pre- the person who is president of, I think, creativity, I may be getting that one wrong, but this just hit today, mm-hmm. uh, said that they're going to, um, they're now committed to having half of all of their characters be LGBTQ or minority. Um, and I think everybody would celebrate minority, but um, they, they said, no, we're, we're talking half of all of our characters will be LGBTQ. Um, and so also what just came out, this is gonna be interesting to see play out. Uh, another Disney employee came out and said, you don't speak for all of Disney. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative, I'm a Christian, I work there. I have no problem with this bill. I think it's common sense. I, 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 I'm, it saddens me that they felt like they had to have it, you know. But uh, how can you disagree with not having this curriculum for a kindergarten class? So we'll see how that one plays out. But Disney felt a lot of pressure um, to react more forcefully to this, and um, uh, they they went with that pressure. I'm glad that you brought up the the term minority with regards to this conversation because um, DeSantis, you know, who who helped put this this um, bill forward, he said that the legislation fights against woke gender ideology. And woke, meaning you you did a whole series on that, which we'll for sure link, but is most commonly used in reference to racial justice. But here it's being applied to gender as well. So the church, I think, can definitely get behind the concept of woke as applies to as applied to race. Um, but what about gender what where's the parallel here in that conversation you know this is another podcast too lex because uh when i did that series you're referencing on woke it had not become the politically charged word that it is now and it's taken on a totally different meaning you're right you would have thought but when it first began to be used that the church would just get behind it 100 because who would be for discrimination who wasn't for racial reconciliation and you went against racism Um, But it got politically charged through conversations related to what's known as critical race theory and then all the ramifications of that, uh, good, bad and indifferent. And it got politically charged to where, um, you know, became like, you know, Black Lives Matter kind of took on a life of its own and and people were reacting to the organization. But but, you know, we're kind of linking that with the sentiment. And there is a difference between the sentiment Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter organization. and it just became politically charged and really became um, synonymous with all things critical race theory, all things, you know, uh, uh, um, with being a, a pro LGBTQ agenda, uh, even, uh, you know, seeing in the Me Too, Me Too movement, 
things that were nefarious. So it almost became linked with everything left and liberal agenda in the minds of some. So woke became this terribly charged word. Uh, and so that if you were all of a sudden now a woke church, a woke this, a woke anything, people were putting all of this socio-cultural political stuff onto it and linking it with everything that's against God, truth, justice, and the American way. And I, 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 it, it, much of it is sloppy thinking, quite frankly. And, um, and so that was probably more of an answer than you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> but again, there's a lot there that we could parse later. Um, but, you know, and, and, and have hopefully, you know, good, sane, informed decision and, and conversations about. Um, but yeah, woke has been taken now and is being used as a political baseball bat that often transcends the real issues that are, are, are needing to be thought through biblically and Christianly. Well, I think that's what gets to, I guess, the the confusion that's around this bill, you know, especially when you identify it as something of like um, a, a fight against woke gender ideology that it, yeah. it, it, it makes it more complicated than I, I think that you very helpfully um, simplified it to be about. Here's my concern and why, um, you know, you and I talked about doing this podcast on this. Um, because the last thing I want to do is enter political wars and, and get into political things. I try to avoid it like the plague unless there's a deep cultural value attached to it that we just need to talk about. Um, the, here's the heart, heart of the matter for me. Neil Postman wrote, a, a, a sociologist Neil Postman wrote a book many, many years ago that has proved to be prescient. It was called The Disappearance of Childhood. And what we're having in our culture right now, I do really think is the disappearance of childhood. And where there is no childhood, you just used to enter into adulthood automatically. And I think that whether this bill was needed or not needed, whether it was political theater or conviction, let's just, it doesn't matter to me per se. What matters to me is that um, we're having a cultural argument about whether or not a kindergartner should be a kindergarten life. You know, where, why on earth do we inject adult issues of sexual orientation and gender identity into a kindergartner's life. That is, let them be a child and they need to be a child. That means immature and also childhood means protected from many adult ideas and adult themes. It's, we're not doing a child a service by inserting adult themes into their life at an age where they don't have the maturity to even process it. And that to me is the heart of the cultural issue, is the disappearance of childhood, the robbing of childhood and attempting to, in the name of, wars we're having as adults feeling like somehow we've got to insert that into the world of a child and i think that's highly dangerous mm. well i think that's a great place to stop for today um but yeah like i mentioned there's a lot more to this topic that we will link in the show notes but we just want to thank you for joining us today and we hope to have you join us next week Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.